You're listening to episode eight of the Inconvenience Podcast featuring Mike Zahaiko. Welcome to a special episode of the Inconvenience Podcast. I'm co-host Frank Beard. And given everything that's happened the past few weeks with the coronavirus pandemic, we decided to change the content of our podcast slightly as we move forward. As such, we really wanted to get into the topic of cleanliness today. Cleanliness has obviously been important for many, many years, but it's even more important now that people are arriving at stores and asking questions like, huh, I wonder when the last time they cleaned the handles on the door was? Or should I really be eating this after I've touched the handle of a pump? People are arriving at stores asking very different questions now than they did two, three, four weeks ago. And so we really wanted to dig into this topic and figure out, well, what can store owners be doing if they're not already doing it right now? And as such, we wanted to talk to Mike Mike Sahaiko from Calf Outdoor Cleaning. Mike and I have had the chance to present together many times the last few years, both here in the U.S. and overseas, about the topic of cleanliness and why it matters. Um, Calf Outdoor Cleaning is an industry leader in this area. They have a tremendous amount of expertise, and they've been putting a lot of resources together the past few weeks to help retailers with this issue. So without any further ado, I'm going to jump right into this, but I do want to mention a few things for anyone new who's listening. Just a heads up that you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, but on our website at inconveniencepodcast.com, on each episode's page, you'll find a list of links that we talk about uh, throughout the episode, uh, links to resources, you'll find the bios for our guest, find a lot of helpful resources, so I would definitely recommend checking that out. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a follow on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. You can find us at Inconvenience Podcast. All right, Mike, super excited you're on the podcast here today. I, I just wanted to have you come on and really dig into the topic of what can retailers do right now to improve cleanliness at their sites during this whole coronavirus mess. Well, Frank, first of all, thanks for letting me come on. This is great. Good to be with you now. Um, there's a lot on the topic and it's escalating quickly. So what we've been sharing and we can dive more into as we go, but a lot of the information from the CDC on how to clean and disinfect the surfaces, what's causing the spread, how does it impact gas stations? What are the challenges like labor shortages or supply difficulties? So really that's where we've been trying to provide a lot of resources in the training. But I believe the biggest one and the one takeaway I'd say from this whole, at least our learnings here is how is the customer perception about your location? Do they feel safe? And so being seen cleaning, I think is one of the best things we can do right now for our customers to show that they are safe. That's great. That's a good idea. Yeah. Actually, one of the things that your webinar showed uh, was a picture of someone in, I think it was a yellow vest, just cleaning in the parking lot. And I, I like that idea of um, really increasing your visibility because I, I think what this is doing more than anything is people are going into stores now and they're asking questions that they weren't asking before. Like, hey, when was the last time that this door handle was cleaned? Or wow, I have a snack bar and I just touched a, a pump. Like maybe I should not eat this right now. Um, people are looking at things that they just didn't look at two months or two weeks ago even. And um, 
Yeah, so just, just the optics of knowing that you're at a store that regularly cleans is so critical. Yeah, I can tell you a firsthand experience. So last week I was in Ireland, stuck out there, wondering when Trump made his announcement, how and if we're getting home. And uh, we were out cleaning gas stations. And so wearing the yellow vest and wiping down a dispenser. And within a five minute span, I had one customer come up and say, hey, uh, would you mind getting my pump too? Can you, can you get the handle right before I use it? And then within another two minutes, this older lady came by and said, hey, is it okay if I use your cleaners right here to clean my hands? So the concern was real. And this was in Ireland. And Ireland is really on the front edge. They're a little bit behind the U.S. and some of the contamination and spread of the disease. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to, d- to dig into that. So you were you almost kind of got stranded out there, didn't you? <laughs> we did. We did. So uh, now I have a do not disturb because we work a lot in Europe and the U.S., and so I must have gotten like 52 calls between 1.30 and 2.30 right after, well, that was a long time, uh, right after Trump had made his announcement. And so folks from my family, folks from the company, were all trying to figure out, hey, how can we help get Mike home and some of my coworkers there? Fortunately, though, the exemption was for Americans returning. And also we got in and the way we flew back on Saturday where they were still allowing uh, people from Ireland or anyone there that hadn't been traveling throughout Europe to come back on the flight. And it was a mess. It was a three hour wait. They went through uh, screenings, uh, CDC screenings. And uh, that being said, not once was I swabbed. Not once did I have someone check my temperature. It was all verbal. Oh, oh wow. Three hours, they put you in a, a tin area where you're all tightly close together. And I'm thinking, man, this is the worst thing you can do to prevent <laughs> yeah. the spread by having us all come together and congregate for three hours. Oh, man. I've actually talked to a few people who were flying back um, actually right around the same time. And that's interesting because that's all what they said, which is I got back to the U.S. and there was virtually no testing of any sort. Um, I mean, one of the one of the guys I was talking to was coming back from Asia and said he was tested multiple times over there, got back to the United States and there's just nothing. Yeah, I think this has caught us really unprepared. And, and if you look at even tying this back into gas stations, a lot of gas stations are unprepared right now. We're having big difficulties with labor, making sure we can keep our, our stores staffed and processes and procedures. Now, I understand this is unprecedented. We've never had this happen before, but there's always been a need for a customer to feel safe in the store. That's not a new thing. Yeah. Uh, Nax in uh, 2016, they released their, uh, in partnership with Coca-Cola Research Center, the core needs and their uh, benefits of you know how to get started, how to provide a great customer experience. And they use this hierarchy of needs, which started at the bottom with safety, then above that was cleanliness, above that was hospitality, and then above that was the time enriching or loyalty programs. So really, it's always been the foundation of safety. A customer needs to feel safe at any retail or restaurant. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, and I'll have to share some of this with you later too, but um, I've, since, you know, we're all having a little bit more free time lately here and there. I It's a good time to brush up on stuff you want to learn more about. And one of the things I've been digging into is just the historical research on the importance of not only a clean site, but just an overall good customer experience and what that does um, to just to retail sales. And there's there's research on this going back to the early 1970s. This is stuff that people have known for a long time, but not everyone has really followed and, um, you know, I know we've had the chance to present about this the last couple of years, but I think um, this coronavirus situation is, I think, going to send customers back for a very long time with higher expectations 
as far as what you do, not just for cleanliness, just cleanliness, but your overall customer experience. Like people are coming in with higher expectations now. Absolutely. We, you know, we've been seeing that trend of moving to food service. Nax has put out some great data showing how the top performers of the industry out of the 150,000 gas stations are the ones that have made a pivot over the last 10 years to be a food service destination and not just the Cokes and Smokes of the past. So I think with that transition to food service, we've seen a great increase, but I do think you're right, Frank. I think now when customers go in there, they have more options. They can look online and find 10 different places nearby to buy the same Snickers bar. And they got to make a decision based off of what kind of experience they have last time. Yeah, I yeah, I would agree 100%. It's just, you know, it's not good enough to anymore say, hey, I'm, conven- I'm convenient because I'm on this corner over here with 2,000 SKUs. Um, well, yeah, you're probably around four or five other people, but it's just... You know, there's there's more to the equation right now, and people are making decisions based upon customer experience. Um, it's, <laughs> I mean, I've had the chance to work with a lot of data on that the last few years, and it makes it makes a very real difference. But so to get into this more, um, where I'd kind of like to go here, I'm curious for your thoughts on this. What what should retailers be doing absolutely tomorrow if they haven't already been doing it yesterday around cleanliness? Yeah. Like what? What are the new table stakes right now? Well, the, the top three things we're telling retailers is first, make sure that you have your, your labor in order. They're having difficulties keeping things stocked. And so having clear communication and being able to break up the roles and responsibilities and reprioritizing is a critical one. But really, I think the next one is right now, the CDC is telling that all surfaces, high touch surfaces need to be clean and disinfected regularly. And on a normal day, that means once a day. For something like now, I'm seeing some of the best retailers go out and have a hourly checklist. So their employees are going out, like you said, in a yellow vest and wiping down, disinfecting and sanitizing um, after cleaning all the high touch areas out of the site. And that includes places like at the pumps where other studies have shown and they're starting to come out and they could really scare a lot of the public if more people knew about it. But the studies have shown that 71% of the gas uh, nozzles handles and the pumps and the uh, keypads and then the buttons for selecting your grade had highly contaminated levels of bacteria and viruses that can cause illness. Well, there you go. God, <laughs> that makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, and I've started to see that pop up in the news. The study first came out in 2011 from Kimberly Clark. They did another one in 2015. And I'm seeing more and more news stations pick that up because out of all public places, gas stations got hit as number one for most likely to touch a contaminated surface. We know, Mike, we ran a story uh, on my station not long ago where uh, I want to say maybe it was England. They decided to swab touchscreens in uh, McDonald's and places like that. Oh, no. And they found things like fecal matter on touchscreens. And I mean, you you know, Frank and I talked about touchscreens a number of times, but apparently these touchscreens are filthy. So Mike, let me ask you, how do you clean a touchscreen in your, in your, uh, in your deli if you're using touchscreens? What do you use on that? Yeah. So first and foremost, you just clean it. And uh, a lot of general cleaners will work for that. The, the difference between cleaning and disinfecting is something important not a lot of people talk about. And so just to share the definition of cleaning is the, this is coming directly from the CDC, the removal of germs, dirt, and impurities from surfaces and cleaning does not kill germs, but it removes them and it lowers the numbers and the mm-hmm. risk of spreading infection. Now, the other half of that is disinfecting. So disinfecting refers to using chemicals to kill germs on surfaces. And the process does not necessarily clean dirt 
or remove the germs, but by killing germs on a surface after cleaning, that also lowers the risk. So really it's a one-two where they must clean first and then disinfect after. So let me ask you a kind of a specific question, Mike. Uh, one of our producers, a couple of them, run around the newsroom spraying some kind of Lysol-type spray, and you can hardly breathe. So I decided to look this up online, and there's something called chemically induced pneumonia. And I'm pretty sure that we will all die of chemically induced pneumonia before we die of uh, COVID-19. Uh, so I keep a bottle of alcohol on my desk in a spray bottle. You spray that, nothing smells. Mike, alcohol, how effective is it for killing germs? Very effective. <laughs> in fact, uh, the CDC, or not, sorry, not the CDC, it was the FDA. They're the ones that have guidelines on sanitizers, like hand sanitizers. And they just recently announced that they would not be prosecuting or going after anyone that's making their own hand sanitizer, even the company is doing Really? So like a little spray bottle, I don't know if you can see this, Mike, I've got this little spray bottle right here, no aerosol, nothing, it says alcohol on it. Uh, and I mean, I just spray, I keep these at the office, I spray everything down, and you know what? It, it doesn't have that, it doesn't, when, I don't know if you just don't breathe it in or you don't smell it, but it, it evaporates very quickly, but you don't have that lingering sort of chemical smell that I'm convinced is going to cause chemically induced pneumonia in our entire newsroom. So I'm, I'm thinking, am I just as good with this as I would be with Lysol? Now, just as good might be a stretch, but, but it is effective. And they say for hand sanitizers, that as long as it's greater than, I think it's 60% yeah. on the alcohol content, then that's good to go. That's what's actually killing and removing the germs. Okay, but when they okay. talk about sanitizing disinfectant, usually the, the surface time or the dwell time has to be a little longer. So you need to make sure it actually stays on the surface. Some of these germs are resilient. They can last up to like three minutes in that environment. So that's why the dwell time, like when they're sanitizing things, is usually five minutes to make oh, sure wow. they're actually killing everything there. And they've the numbers are still coming out. But with the coronavirus specifically, they're saying that dwell time is on a lot of surfaces. So let's say someone with, you know, the coronavirus or the COVID-19 uh, has germs on them. They touch a dispenser. They're saying that it's up to nine days is how long oh, that'll last. Wow. Oh, my God. Jeez. Oh, we're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that just shows you how long this stuff can last for and that germs can stay on the environment. I was going to say, I mean, this is interesting because um, a lot of people are having to learn how to properly wash their hands and they're having to learn things um, like just like what you mentioned, what what percentage of alcohol does your hand sanitizer actually need to have? I mean, people are out there taking their vodka out of their kitchen and trying to make hand sanitizer when it's only, you know, 40 percent. Um, it's, it's kind of a weird time. Like you would think that we would know these things and we really don't. There is so much we take for granted. Now, me coming from a focus on outdoor cleaning, there's millions of companies that make indoor cleaning products. We've just been unique in that our niche has always been the forecourt of the outdoor environments. So that's why this is like right up our, uh, you know, in our sandbox. But I, I think the, the funny thing I like to tell people is most professional cleaners, like the maids and maid services and people doing fresh clean all throughout the world, they don't receive training on cleaning. They, Wait, they, really? Yeah. Seven out of 10 of them learned how to clean from their mother. Oh, wow. And then one out of 10 was a father. So good job, dads, for representing. And then the rest, I don't know where they learned. So we found that when we're training people on how to clean up these outdoor forecourt areas, it's not intuitive. People don't know how to clean a dispenser. They don't know how to get rid of the uh, you know the microbes on some of these surfaces. And so we've we've actually had to go and we spend a lot of our time and resources training employees on how do you take care of some of these trickier spots like diesel? Because 
mom never taught him how to clean up a diesel nozzle or oil spots on concrete. So I, I think your point on training is really critical. A lot of people don't know it. And for those, we have a link, but there's a lot of resources coming out that are from NACS, are from the underground storage tank groups that are putting out these free uh, online videos and training that you can have your employees go through. And I think it's a good resource. Now, the only downside that I've seen, almost every one of these resources is generic. It talks about the general, you know, where's the germ come from? How does it spread? How, how to wash your hands? So unfortunately, they're great resources, but they're not as tied to our market as I'd like to see. So Mike, are we better off or, or, or uh, people who are out there cleaning their pumps, cleaning their counters, are they better off with a, a Clorox-based uh, Clorox cleanser uh, than maybe an alcohol-based cleanser? So yeah, a chemical it will do a better job on a lot of that. That's why they use the alcohols for the hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. So uh, you'll usually see the high alcohol content in hand sanitizers. Um, typically, there's uh, quats, and, and those are chemicals that do a really good job of killing the bacteria and microbes and germs and viruses. So uh, usually, it's, it's quats that they're using. Now, a common one is bleach. People are like, okay, I know how to sanitize something. I switch over to bleach. And just a, a warning out there for anyone doing that, there, it's, I'm amazed at how um, dangerous bleach can be. So oh, they don't great. talk about it. But in our industry, um, all the deaths that I've seen that are chemically related – 90% of them are tied to bleach. You're kidding. I have that in my closet, uh, in, my, in my cabinet right now. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord, I have bleach. So what, don't get me wrong. We, we drink bleach. Like if you're out, I used to go uh, out sailing. You put bleach in the water at a small dosage to keep everything safe. Wow. But it's when bleach is mixed with other things, it makes a lot of gases that oh, are. Oh, yeah. And so I, I've unfortunately heard a handful of deaths in our industry that have come from bleach. Wow. And that's why usually bleach is on the, you know, do not use, do not have my store for most of these retailers. You know, I think there was actually a King of the Hill episode about that one. Uh, <laughs> Pe no, seriously, Peggy Hill was trying to make a household cleaning recipe, and she ended up mixing ammonia and bleach. Yeah, that's bad. I've, I've heard of that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I'm seeing, talking about what retailers are doing to stay clean, uh, you know, Costco is my Disney world. I love going to Costco. And so I've been to Costco almost every day this week, not to buy toilet paper, but to buy cheap Canadian whiskey. And, you need to uh, watch people, I'm sure. Oh, God, do I. But we know what Costco's doing that's amazing. Uh, they've got two ladies. I'm in Lafayette, Louisiana. They've got two ladies out there with spray bottles and gloves, and they are spraying every basket that's brought back there, and they're wiping every handle of every basket down. And they, they I mean, they've been out there every day this week doing that. And so that's a perfect if, example of showing the customer that we value your safety. We're actively doing something. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if, if I mean, gosh, are we going to see that at some point uh, at C stores when someone's out there full time, just every time, you know, someone uses a pump, I'm spraying this pump down because there's a lot of hands and those pumps are going through a lot of hands every day. But I was very impressed with Costco, two ladies out there spraying baskets. Absolutely. Um, I, I do believe that ties right in with that perception of clean for the customer. And so we've seen some even small um, gas station operators that put uh, their phone number out there in the pumps and said, if you don't feel comfortable pumping, give us a call and we'll come out there and take care of you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it's, it's a modern day full service and they'll even bring things from the main store out for you. So I, I do think that we all need to adjust to these customer concerns because they're real. There's a lot of fear. There's panic. There's anxiety that's just in our lives. And as retail operators, if we can make and take that away from our customer, that's going to be a big uh, impact to them and how they associate with your brand and how they feel. 
You know, I'm actually curious for your thoughts on something. I, I walked into a store. Um, they did a really nice job putting hand sanitizer out by all the registers and, you know, making that their new standard. But, and maybe this is just me, but I went to buy something and I guess I just felt kind of weird grabbing the hand sanitizer right in front of the cashier because I didn't want to inadvertently make this person feel like I'm worried about him or her making me sick when really I'm just hand sanitizer. I might as well grab some, but you know, cause it's kind of weird. Like, you, you know how when Black Friday hits and stuff and people go into retailers and they're like, oh, I, it's so crazy that you're working here on on Thanksgiving or whatever. That's so sad. And it's like, well, you're at the store, dude. Like, that's why I'm working here. <laughs> if, if you don't want me to work, you'll go home. But I almost, almost felt like that dynamic. If I'm grabbing hand sanitizer in front of this person, like I'm somehow inadvertently communicating that they're dirty or I'm afraid of them infecting me when really I'm just wanting to use some hand sanitizer. Don't you think retailers need to kind of prompt people and put up signage to tell them what to do with this stuff or just put up a little sign that says, take a squirt of hand sanitizer. It's on us. Yeah. Like that would diffuse it. Now I haven't seen this as much in the U S but when I was traveling through Ireland, every five feet, I'm not talking about once per store. It's every five feet in the store. There's government issued notices on here's how you wash your hands. Here's how to cough. Here's how to stop the spread of infection. And they were everywhere. And so I do think communicating is very important. Um, and in your example, one of the challenges of why labor is so tough right now, not only because hours are changing all that, but largely because of how the employees feel about coming into work. We, we hosted a large meeting where they brought together 35 uh, of their store managers all to one spot. And one of my coworkers said, hey, is this a concern that you know they're not going to want to bring together 35 people? And this was, again, you know, a week and a half ago in Ireland. And as we were talking about, like they see way more than 35 people every 30 minutes at their site. And so the exposure and the, the, the chance of getting something, that's why if I was working behind the counter, I would feel better seeing my customers go and use the hand sanitizer because that's all helping this, you know, prevention and spread of uh, COVID or, or any other germs that are out there. Well, good point. Good. Point. You know, are you hearing anything from retailers that customers are stealing their hand sanitizer and toilet paper? So n- not, not from retailers yet, but I am hearing it from hospitals, which is even worse. So hospitals oh. have a lot of big public ones out there and they're in short supply. And I'm telling you, the supply that's happening out there for disinfectants, hand sanitizers, cleaners, it, it's really causing a, a lot of uh, panic. Uh, we're, you know, trying to aid and a lot, support a lot of our customers. We're bringing in truckloads of hand sanitizer, disinfectants, trying to help uh, retailers respond to this crisis. And all the normal channels have dried up. So, um, you know, you, if you try and go on Amazon right now and buy hand sanitizer, it won't even pull up in the search engine. So you can try it today. You just can't find this stuff. You go to the stores, it's not out there. And so the supply caught a lot of us off guard. And so you talk about stealing yeah, there's some definite concerns of people stealing out there. But at the same time, that's why when they put it in a public place, like you said, right next to the cashier, no one's going to be walking up with that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I saw a thing going around Twitter where um, someone, I forget what retailer they were at. It wasn't a convenience retailer, but somewhere that had public hand sanitizer. Actually, it might have been a McDonald's. Anyway, someone went in with a mason jar and just emptied that thing into the mason jar and walked out. That's a it's like It's like, oh my God. That's that's so horrible. But one thing, just on a positive note to this, I really feel like Americans, like the vast majority of us, want to do the right thing, want to support. Yeah. I'm seeing in my neighborhood group, you know, the little Facebook group, 
people all the time are saying, hey, I wasn't able to find this in the store. Does anyone have, you know, just two rolls of toilet paper? And everyone is sharing. My wife is setting things up on our doorstep all the time. That, and then I know that people are sharing with us. So I love seeing the community come together. Maybe not the same way that they are in Italy where we're all singing from our balconies. That's because we like to live further away from each other. Right. Just, balconies may not work. We can't stand our neighbors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there'd be a lot of singing on the balconies here. But to your, to your point, um, even some of the folks that, um, for lack of better explanation, might be some of the ruder people that are on my social media feeds. I've even seen them posting things like, hey, is anyone, you know, is anyone like not wanting to go out to the stores to get something and they're afraid? Like, can I help somehow? Can I bring something to you? And that's actually really nice to see. Yeah. And honestly, our industry of C stores, it's full of that. I love hearing stories as I work with our retail partners about people that will spend an hour going through the garbage can looking for a ring that someone felt they accidentally dropped in there and then returning it back. Or they're just people are doing amazing things all the time. And so I love it when we're putting the spotlight on that. And I really think that, you know, the truck stops I just saw, they're now required to stay open 24 hours a day. And so people are having to adjust their lives. And I really am grateful for you know, all those responders that are out there supporting the, the people on the front line because we need gas stations to be running. We need truck stops to be running. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for all they're doing. Yeah, you know, I, I was in downtown Lafayette and uh, I, the lady who runs the downtown development authority was telling me that there's a real sense of family down there. And uh, I interviewed a couple of folks who have a wine shop and they were talking to someone else when we were off camera. They were saying, wow, you know, we really need to figure out a way to help our, 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 our friends who have restaurants uh, downtown. And, you know, so there's, I, I, I think we're going to see on the good side, uh, and I hope there's a more of this than on the bad side, but I think we're going to see hopefully a lot of people just, uh, you know, pulling together, helping each other out. Because I, I got a real sense of that yesterday, which made me feel pretty good, you know, about us down here. Well, I can tell you the city, uh, Lehigh, Utah, there's a couple of companies that formed together that were the larger, better off companies. And they said, hey, we're now giving no interest, thousand dollar loans to all the small business owners. That, that oh, wow. So government's, you know, doing their best to try and respond. But they're saying, hey, just, you know, fill out this form, come see us, and then we'll do a virtual meeting and we'll take care of this and get you some funds. And I think that's just great because they're helping out their competitors, you know, the, those bigger, more established companies are even helping some of the less established, you know, sing, single pop shops. And so I, I really just I'm, I'm proud of Americans that we're, we're stepping up like we usually do in this kind of thing. And in the data that I'm seeing about how long is this going to impact us, what kind of impact it's going to have to the economy, to our industry, it's, it's not short. This is going to be, you know, they say that we're eight weeks away from the peak, and that was a week ago. So that means oh. we're seven weeks away. So we're still looking at three months of this kind of environment. But to see people so quickly help and respond and help each other out, that's the way I think we get through this. Well, Mike, uh, a couple of uh, C store owners down here, they're going to use their own. They're they're going to use their own employees uh, to make deliveries. So I'm wondering, uh, is that going to be a different challenge for maintaining a, a you know clean spaces, clean hands, things like that? How's that going to work with employees? Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up that labor issue again, and I think it's great that they're willing to step it up. There's so many things to do. It almost feels like it's these triage tents for the nurses trying to decide which patients to treat where. Where do you put your priorities and resources? And yeah. I really feel like one of the areas that has to be near the top is making sure your customers feel safe at your store. 
And uh, right now, nothing has a higher priority seems to be in, I haven't even seen this on online reviews. If you look at online reviews, they're fresh. You can see coronavirus and COVID and germs now popping up where they weren't there three weeks ago on a lot of these reviews. And so if this is top of mind for your customer, I really think that feeling of safety and making sure that you're doing all you can to keep people safe on your premise. And where most people fail to start the process is they say, okay, once they open my doors, once they enter my store, that's when this you know safe experience starts. But that's too late because 100% of your customers pretty much will be there at the pump and only 50% are coming inside. Right. So you need to provide that safe experience to everyone outside. So Mike, you know, one of the things I, I, I kind of call it the myth of gloves. You know, uh, we, uh, we did a little spot where we spent a morning making pizza and it was a pizza place well-known and, uh, they didn't wear gloves. They washed their hands constantly. They have actually a hand washing station right next to where they make pizza. And they are I mean like you, the moment you move away from the food, you wash your hands. And I mean, it's constant. And then there's other places that wear gloves. And I know one of my uh, colleagues said, well, they weren't wearing gloves. And, and, and my thought was, Mike, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, because my perception would be, hey, if you're, if you're wearing gloves and you touch something that's got germs on it and you don't change your gloves, you're going to transfer those germs. So to me, there's almost a, a myth or a false sense of security that customers might have. They go, oh, well, they're wearing gloves. Thank God for that. As opposed to the people that are washing their hands every 90 seconds. You know, so give us a, tell me what you think about that. Yeah, it's a good point because a lot of it goes back to what's the customer perceive and how does it perceive. Right. But when it comes back to the actual safety, if you think about it, most people probably wash their hands before putting on those gloves. Right. And I would argue that at that point, their hands are safer and less germ-free. I, I agree. I totally agree with that. God, I cannot tell. I'm so glad you said that because I think people, when they put on gloves, I, I don't know how often they take them off, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the customer, that that visual is, oh, they're wearing gloves. Thank God. Doctors wear gloves. Nurses wear gloves. And now the guy fixing my tacos wearing gloves. I feel really good about it. But, you know, maybe the guy uh, twirling the pizza is not wearing gloves because you can't do that with gloves. But this guy just washed his hands 45 seconds ago, you know. And, I mean, it's, it's a constant thing. And, and I sometimes think that we are lulled into a false sense of security when it comes to a, a clean, sterile environment by gloves. I agree with you. In fact, another one is, you know, you look at your phone. How yeah. often do you wash your phone versus wash your hands? Oh, my like, God. I make Never. this mistake. Good of, point. I, I wash my hands, and then I go back to the phone that I was just touching. So whatever germs I had before, I'm picking back up. And so I, I'm trying to make a habit of washing my phone more regularly because I don't do that well. Now, if I spray the phone with my little bottle of uh, alcohol, is that is that pretty good? Hey, it gets you there. That's yeah. what I've been doing. I've been doing that and then just the Clorox wipes on it. Great point. We started yeah, spraying down the steering wheel of the car, you know? Yeah, that's a good point with, with the gloves, though, because, I mean, if you put gloves on and then you touch your face. Right. I mean, right? If your face yeah. itches and you reach up and scratch it and you have gloves on, well, congratulations. Now your gloves <laughs> might not right. be as safe as you thought. And people feel so good about people wearing gloves. They just love it. Well, honestly, that's kind of like it's kind of like surgical masks. Um you know, it's kind of funny because my, my wife and I were planning to take a honeymoon to Japan in May, which, as we can all imagine, probably won't be happening now. Yeah. And, you know, one of the interesting things there is, of course, such a cultural norm. If you're sick, you wear a surgical mask. Well, 
I mean, a surgical mask might not really do much. Let's be honest. It's not really rated for that. Um, but it, it, it's just a norm and an expectation that you wear that, um, regardless of how effective it really is. Well, the other hard part, too, is because everyone's demand for that has gone through the roof. I, I saw a, you know, from Washington State, the governor said, any company that's willing to switch over their manufacturing to start making N95 mm-hmm. masks, do it and we'll buy them from you. And so they're trying to put incentives so that, and we heard that from Elon Musk saying, hey, we can go make those ventilators and GMC and other people are trying to adjust, just like we did in times of war, to ramp up manufacturing to take care of the current needs. So, Well, this is interesting because this whole thing, I think, overall has just revealed some of the fragile weak points in our supply chains and our social structures and everything. Like it's, it's showing that uh, we're maybe not as strong as we thought we were in a lot of areas. And I mean, looking at N95s is a perfect example of that. Uh, when we needed them, they're hard to get. Yeah. Well, you think back to even what retailers are dealing with right now is how many of them had a great program in place for cleaning? And what we see is, um, some of the top retailers, they have a program, but usually that program comes from something on the inside of the store, but they just don't have a program for the outside. And now with so much of the germs being spread on the outside, they're really struggling to adapt and what kind of implement. And so that's why I think that, like you said, it's just bringing the spotlight some of the areas where maybe we weren't as great before. And when I think of what are the best retailers doing and what separates the best retailers from maybe the average ones, it comes to execution. Mm-hmm. And it's the same people that I was at a, um, a gas station in Ireland and I took a picture because I believe that the company did everything right. This was a larger chain, global chain. And what they did is when I went to the bathroom, I saw right there, someone had signed off in the last 30 minutes of having cleaned it. And then I also saw a little placard that said, here are the items to use to clean. Here's how you clean. You can take a picture of this QR code. It'll show you a video on how to clean. It was all right there. But then when I went to the site, and this was a unisex one, it was disgusting. Uh, I mean, yeah. as a man, I, I felt bad even going there. But for <laughs> women, even worse. And then I opened up the toilet paper, and both of these big, large toilet paper areas were empty. And I know oh. that couldn't have gone in the last 30 minutes. And so how long have the, the store employees just been, like, pencil whipping this thing? And even though the process was trying to be there, I think what's missing, even if they have good training, which they did, and they had a, a process – Sometimes it's the execution and the expectations. So my tip for retailers is um, you have to uh, inspect everything that you expect. So if you expect something to be done, you need to inspect it and know that someone's going to be holding them accountable. And every time that they're doing these visits and they walk by something that wasn't done properly, unfortunately, they're studying the new norm of what's acceptable at the retail level. Mm-hmm. And there's so many priorities these guys are going through the daily checklists are huge at a gas station and it's hard to how do you prioritize which one goes first and that's where i think what you need to do right now is be very clear in your communication of what do you prioritize how do you triage this and cleanliness has always been a top three top one for customers and everything associated with safety but now it's really deserves its spot but it always should have been there it always should be one of the top things that customers care about you look at online reviews they talk about cleanliness you look at the the gas buddy studies or studies on mystery shops, cleanliness is always an area that's important. And then that safety that ties with it. So now we're just seeing that cleanliness and safety are merged together as one because of the pandemic going on. 
So I'm actually curious for your thoughts on something. We we all know there's certain brands around here that just get this right on a consistent basis. I mean, God, you walk into a, a Bucky's and it looks brand new ten years later. Um, they just really do a phenomenal job. And there's a lot of others too. Uh, Quick Trip, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Northern Iowa. Just those stores are sparkling clean every single day. But what what separates brands like that from ones that just don't do this? Um, is it is it just an issue of priorities? So I think that's a big one. Um, one of the issues that we've been talking about at a lot of different industry events with retailers is this idea of a weak leader versus a strong leader. The hard part about a big brand is they have to depend on leaders throughout that chain. So even if the top leadership puts out a great statement of intent saying, our company values these things, how does that trickle down to the store employee? And with the turnover challenge that we have in our industry, how do you make sure that happens and it's consistent across your stores? So I think, like you said, Frank, uh, having that strong leadership priority is critical and making sure that it's actually followed through with inspections or um, there's a lot of things that people could do by just inspecting it, checking it off, doing more on the training side. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of the execution um, is just are they good period, but then I take a step further and do they have the right tools and resources? Uh, the retailer we were working with in Ireland, their big thing was, hey, we've always had the right tools to clean up the inside. We've never had the right tools to clean up the outside, nor has anyone told us. So you, you got to make sure you give the right you know, system or, or tools and resources to make sure that employees can be successful. So th- this, this actually raises kind of a similar, similar topic. Um, I think, and I think we, we would all agree, all of us here, that retail leadership needs to spend a lot more time at the store level than some folks currently do. Um, but this is an especially good time to be doing that because um, like I always think back to um, back in Abercrombie's heyday, their CEO who you know, was a bit of an eccentric. But one of the things I liked about him is when he would go into a store, which was very frequently, he wouldn't look at P&L. He wouldn't look at any of you know these typical metrics that someone might look at on a visit like that. He would look at how many buttons are buttoned up on the blouses when they're on a hanger. Uh, how are they greeting customers when they come in the store? Like, how do our employees look? Like, how are they dressed? Like, he was trying to – because he knew that what mattered for that store was the image it projected. That's what ultimately mattered. Um, but – I feel like a lot of retail leaders do need to spend more time going into stores and asking themselves, as a customer, would I honestly feel comfortable shopping here? Um, like I told folks in one presentation a few months back, I'm like, go inside in the morning, and this sounds gross, but sit down on the toilet and ask yourself, would I feel comfortable using this? Can I assemble a breakfast? Would I have my wife shop here or my uh, my spouse shop here? Like. If you're not comfortable using your own store, no one's comfortable using your store. But you've right. got to spend actually you have to spend time on the ground looking at these things. I mean, it well, sounds it sounds old-fashioned and simple, but it makes a huge difference. Absolutely, and that's why one thing I love is uh, when I happen to be in an environment where I hear the wives of these CEOs and leaders, they're the ones that raise hell at a location yeah. saying, "Hey, I went there, I had a crappy experience." You represent that brand, husband. What are you going to do about it? And I, and I can tell you this happens so many times where it's just that. It's how do we see what the customers experience? And I'll use an example of the, the HVR, the hypermarket groups. These are the big box stores, the Costco's and um, Kroger's of the world. I believe that uh, for them, and we, we partnered and worked a lot with them early on because their brand, they knew was so much more than just the gas station. If It's just a big, expensive billboard to go get people in the main store. And if, if you don't have the trust of the gas station experience, 
How are you going to trust the deli? How are you going to trust these other areas of the store? And so I think now that we're moving into food service across the industry, I would ask myself as, as I touch the nozzle handle and I see that a customer put a napkin there before because it was nasty, um, how much do I trust going inside to get a sandwich? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I had a nurse tell me that she goes to the restroom first, and if she doesn't like the restroom, she just walks out and doesn't buy food. <laughs> she, I mean, uh, that's that. Uh, that's so smart. You know, if the restroom's dirty, the kitchen can't be much better. That was her theory. Absolutely. And Al, this really ties back to our last podcast too on branding. I my my hunch with this whole thing, and I mean, I could be wrong, but my my guess is that. This is going to redefine how a lot of brands are perceived. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because when when push comes to shove during a time of crisis, like that's that's when you make or break your reputation. And um, and this is coming from a from a number of factors. Like how you keep your stores clean during this is going to say a lot about your brand quality. How you support your employees is going to say a tremendous amount about your brand. Because, I mean elephant in the room for some folks in our industry that maybe have not supported their employees very well in the past is that your employee policies are now public health concerns. Um, I mean, I've worked in a restaurant. When I was at a restaurant, if I, <laughs> if I was sick, I had to go find my own replacement. Now, I mean, maybe that's not a big deal if I have the flu or something, I guess. But, you know, i coherent enough to pick up a phone and call and message people. But I mean, what if you're in a hospital? What if you're out of it? Like, is your job going to be there when you come back? You don't know. It's it's so precarious for so many people. And if you can't stay away from work when you're sick, then you are going to come to work sick and make other people sick. That is just the way it is. So I think this is going to um, – this is a good time for retailers to really take a hard look at their overall employee – you know, their employee policies or customer experience and make sure that they're actually providing a place that people feel safe shopping at. And fortunately, some are doing a really good job of this. Well, yeah. yeah. What, what I add to that, Frank, is I think you look at messaging and communication because right now my emails, I'm getting emails every day from a whole bunch of people I didn't even realize have my email address about what they're doing <laughs> to address the COVID virus. And, and no offense, but most, the vast majority of this communication has no value to me. It's adding no, nothing particular to me. It's just talking about their own business. And, and I think that's why talk is cheap. And so an email is even cheaper if talk is cheap. And so it's what customers do. It's what the retailers do. And, and I think that's why, you know, you go back to how are they treating their employees? What are they doing to, to adjust and step up? And some retailers are doing great things. Um, but then the other part is what are they doing for the customer? And can the customer see that versus putting a sticker up that says, hey, we value safety. That doesn't matter. That's not going to make a customer feel safe. Now, if they see them wiping down my pump right before I touched it or, you know, taking care, they have one of the best practices I've seen is even just putting up a checklist that's visible to the customer that just like they do for their bathroom, they're signing off every hour when they go out and disinfect and clean. Something like that will help the customer see not just here that they care about them and they're doing something about their safety. Well, I was going to say real quick to that point, I, I, I agree that there's a lot of nonsense being put out by companies right now. I, I think a lot of it, not to pick on any particular types of folks, but uh, it's a lot of, I think it's a lot of two marketers like, well, what do I do now? I um, guess I better put out this email because everyone has just been dying to know what my brand thinks about 
you know, the COVID-19. But actually, you know, Come and Go, I think, did a really good example of what a communication should look like at a time like this. Uh, you can find it on their website from March 16th. But it was very short as a letter from Kyle Krause. And it just said, here's what we're doing to keep our stores safe and help our employees. It was very simple, very brief, had good information. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, for example, one thing they said, reinforcing our commitment to cleanliness. I got it right here. Said we're enhancing our sanitation efforts in all stores with a focus on more frequently touched surfaces throughout the store in the dining areas during high traffic periods. Extra solution and, sanita- and sanitation products are available for both customers and associates at registers throughout the stores. And I've seen that. They have hand sanitizer sitting out by the registers now. Uh, that's a good that's a good example of what you should be doing is just saying like very plainly here are the specific actions we are taking right now and here's how this is going to help employees and customers absolutely in fact uh travis sheets from sheets he's the uh, president and coo his in describing everything he said you know part of the things we're doing this includes enhancing its routine cleaning procedures by adding hours to its daily schedule dedicated to cleaning and sanitizing the store and then he said the efforts focus on high-touch services such as gas pumps, touch screen order points, countertops, door handles, cash registers, credit card machines, and ATMs. And and I, I do think that if, and I, I really believe it, that the CEOs, the, the top people sending out these messages, they're making sure their company does that. And I think that's when it comes down to how good were they before the storm on executing? Because they're not going to be any better now of executing than they were before. Of How well does that message or that promise to the customer, the brand promise, actually happen so that the customer feels that and sees it when they go and visit their store. You know, and that's a good point because I think consistency is even more important now because if if someone does say they're going to do this and then they kind of don't really do it, how well are you going to trust them when this is all said and done? Yeah. It, it's so not. true. And even small things like when it ties to food service, um, it's very common throughout Europe where food will be just left out in the open, mm-hmm. which may sound fine. They had donuts that looked beautiful. But if you imagine these donuts were just out in the open. So whoever's coughing, whatever stuff's coming oh, out, yeah. it's just all settling down these donuts. And all week long, I wanted a donut. And I'm having lived in Russia for two years, I feel like I'm immune to everything. I can like, <laughs> you know, I could just eat anything and be okay. But uh, I didn't have those donuts for, for the whole week because they were just left out. And only once at the final retailer did they have something that at least put some cellophane over it to cover it up from getting things on it. Wow. You know, and kind of going back to the employee communications, I thought of something I, or just the communications from the company, something I thought of I wanted to mention. Now, they've since come back and tried to fix this, but man, I got on the other day and Southwest Airlines had this, you know, they're advertising a $49 fare like anyone wants to fly right now. And, you know, but I get it. They got to do that. And, but the comments on there were interesting. It was folks saying things like, hey, uh, you know, I booked a want to get aware, uh, want to get away fare. And yeah, um, why can't I just get a refund from this? Like, I just lost my job. Uh, I need this 150 or $200. And their reply wasn't like, hey, um, let's take this to direct messages and we'll try to figure something out. No, it was literally saying, well, that's our policy. And, you know, we hope you fly with us soon. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I just told you I lost my job. And you're telling me, you don't care. It's like, I think companies need to be really careful right now with how they're communicating to people. I've, I've had a hunch, uh, and I haven't like fully developed my thinking on this, but I think a lot of customer service issues come from, um, on one side, employees sticking to 
the rigid nature of whatever policies they have internally and kind of following that flow chart and just the lack of stasis in the communication between that and a customer with a real legitimate complaint. It's like, you know, if you look at uh, United when they ripped that old guy off the plane, um, they were actually following policy. And, you know, it was a bad policy, but they were following policy. But it's like, the customer doesn't care about that. They don't understand that. It's like, this is not the time to double down and say, well, here, we're doing this because this is our policy. And you booked this, you should have read the fine print. It's like, no, you have a legitimate concern. This is a tough time. Like, it's a good time to listen to your customers and take them very seriously. And uh, otherwise, you you risk coming off completely tone deaf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Frank, I think the part of the I 100% agree with you. And, and I'm seeing some companies do a great job in their communication being flexible. Hey, I've had to cancel five flights in the last little bit. And Delta's <laughs> just been stockpiling them away for the future. So I can use those funds later. But, you know, I also think of just right now, um, I saw that Trump was hesitant to and wanted to stop showing the uh, job loss numbers that are coming out on Monday. And it's just really tough economically right now. So part of my heart goes out to business owners, too, mm-hmm. that are having to make really tough decisions on what do they do. You know, you got the, the restaurants and the bars out there that they've gone from, you know, full business to now half to none. And, and I really feel for those company and business leaders, of, they're having to make some tough choices. And there's a lot of stats that are out there that show that if companies can't get back on their feet quickly within two weeks after an incident like this, they might not get back up. And so I understand at the same time, they're making a lot of really tough decisions. And, you know, I, I think there's both sides of the story here where we need to make great customer care, but I understand their need to be able to protect so that, you know, they can at least give their employees a job in, in, in two weeks. Yeah. And especially on, especially in retail, I, I think there's a number of companies that might not survive this. Um, I mean, the last stats I saw, let me just, I got them on a different window right here. So, uh, Neil Saunders on Twitter has been sharing this, but his last post says that 28.4% of stores, retail stores in the United States are closed. Um, this is 26.8% of U.S. retail space. That's, that's pretty serious. I mean, that's, that's unprecedented. Yeah, you think yeah. of all the millions of jobs that is and, and how many people are impacted by this. So what I've heard, and this is coming a lot of times from the investor groups, and they do a pretty good job of their forecasting because they're tied to all the money and they got billions at stake of making correct predictions. And some of the best data I'm seeing from them, this was coming from Goldman Sachs on an investor call, was that the expectation was we were eight weeks away, that was a week ago, so now seven weeks away from the peak, that half of all Americans are actually gonna get sick. Mm-hmm. And that the quarantine for the US probably won't hold, and the UK isn't even trying to quarantine route, they're trying to just build up immunities. And uh, the expectation was that they were going off of a 2% fatality rate. And I know we've seen that change, but 2% times half of America, 150 million means 3 million deaths. And that's a significant, huge number. Now, granted, a lot of, we're still finding out who is most impacted because most of the fatalities are coming from those that are elderly, but still that's a lot of impact and loss of life and, and just the challenge that brings up. But I think that's also going to pale in comparison to the, the financial impact that a lot of these people mm-hmm. are having. You know, if we're losing 3 million people, that's horrible. But at the same time, I wonder how many people are going to lose their jobs and, and what's the impact going to be there. So I just, I feel for people on both sides, and this is not an easy decision for a lot of these leaders and lawmakers to make. No, no. I mean, there's, it's, 
this is an incredibly complicated situation. And it, it's just like these things always end up showing us just how interconnected everything is. You know, once you have challenges in one area, just the ripple effect across the economy and what that does. Um, I mean, you look at how many people are employed at some of these these large uh, these large retailers that until recently have just been hanging hanging by on a thread. I mean, the companies like JCPenney's, I don't know if they're going to come out of this. Um, I mean, they were struggling to stay above water before this, and then now their stores are closed. Um, Macy's I mean, too. we're all kind of pointing at GameStop and how silly it is that they're trying to say they're essential retail and they shouldn't close down. I mean, they haven't been essential retail since the Steam Marketplace came out. Uh, they're definitely not now. But I, I mean, if my hunch is they probably can't afford to close down. It's, you know, but a lot of people work for these companies and have their jobs connected to the, to these industries. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens here, but it is going to be rough, I, th- I think. I think tying it to convenience stores, um, one of the anecdotal stories I'm hearing is Amazon and Microsoft are some of the first people to close their doors and not ask their employees to commute into work. Mm-hmm. And immediately some of the retailers that were impacted with their traffic, foot traffic, and also their fuel volumes going down by half. And you know, going on half revenue is not going to work for very long. And uh, we've also seen the trend, you know, Frank, you're in that great article by CNBC, the video report on what's happening to these independent retailers. I think those ones that don't have the maybe a backbone with more, more money and finances supporting it through this, they're the ones that are most at risk on how's this coronavirus going to impact their long-term business. Because I, I do think, you know, right now I'm hearing good stories on the other side where Sales are up, uh, volume's good, but a key indicator of fuel volume is the miles driven. And it'd be hard for anyone to say that miles driven is is going up right now. People are staying home, they're hunkering down, they're not going in for work, they're not taking trips. And so I, I really believe that the impact of fuel, we're already seeing the pricing tank that is, is heavily related to what's going to be the fuel volumes for the yeah. next couple months. Wow. And going back to that data we talked about before of who are the retailers that are best positioned for this, those are the ones that have made that transition beyond just being Cokes and Smokes so that they're not entirely dependent on fuel for driving their traffic and driving their revenue. Um, those companies that have diversified and created more of a destination, they're the ones that are really benefiting from this. And the ones that have customers trust, they're the ones where when a customer does go out, they'd be willing to pay 10 cents motive to go somewhere safe um, per gallon. That's not going to be a problem. I, I know my wife's like, hey, how do you feel about buying this flour? It's three times the cost of normal for flour. Mm-hmm. Get it. I want to make my bread. I want to be prepared. So <laughs> I just think for this mentality of even not during crisis, we've seen data showing that people will pay more for a better experience. Oh, yeah. But even more so now that people are willing to to pay and, and kind of vote with their wallet saying that I value these things. Yeah. If I was in a pinch and I mean, now we're fairly stocked up just because we don't want to bother going out for the next month at, at all. But it's like if I was in a pinch and I needed something, I am going to prioritize going to a place that is cleaner, safer, just better managed through this situation and not a place where I'm going to worry about my safety. I, it's just it's the honest truth. And yeah, so I, I agree 100 percent. But getting getting into the cleaning uh, issue for for another moment. Um what are all right if someone hasn't done a very good job if 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 they've kind of been running that that old model of the convenience store the dirty gas station and they actually do want to improve right now in in this crisis what is something that they should start doing tomorrow i mean obviously the strategies are different for a large chain and an independent but let's just start with an independent what's if you have a couple of stores what's something you can just do tomorrow yeah well i think the first one is 
any good advice, you have to know what's the real challenge. We have to diagnose the situation better, kind of like a good doctor. And so the first thing I would do to just point the owner operator to diagnose better is to go and start online. Look at their online reviews and what are customers saying about them? Where are they scoring well? Go to Gasbody, go to um, Yelp, go to Google and go see what are customers saying about them now? You know, customers right now have a rating, a five-star rating of what your customer experience is. So I would definitely start there to figure out what are customers saying, what's their experience? Because whatever you think or feel about your business, okay, that's good, but you're very biased and it's skewed. So I would start by looking at what the customers say. And I'd even throw away the excuse where, hey, everything's negative. People just want to put bad stuff because that's not true. Most data and most um, posts and reviews are positive. So I'd start there. I'd figure out what my challenges are. And uh, then you also got to figure out and really do some introspection of who are you? What's your differentiation? And if you're uh, great on just customer experience and knowing all your people, that goes a long way. So just being really tight with your community, that could be your niche. If your niche is, hey, we have some amazing uh, merchandise things that you can't buy anywhere else, maybe they're selling marijuana and cocaine. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a niche. <laughs> but that's a niche. It might be defendable, maybe not. Um, so I, I think looking at whatever your niche is and what, what are you to a customer um, and then making sure that you can do that. But I would always go back to the basics. So once you understand your own challenge, I'd make a strategy and then start testing things out. But I can tell you from all the data I've seen and from just real world experience that the three core things for retailers are number one, customers need to feel safe. Number two, it needs to be a clean environment. And number three, you need to be friendly. And so that good customer service. So those are the core to any successful plan. And I would say safety and cleanliness are actually really tied together strongly because if it's not clean, it also just looks unsafe. Like, let's be honest, especially outside of the forecourt. What? So for someone who hasn't had a really good cleaning schedule in the past, like how often should they be cleaning? Should this be every 30 minutes, every hour? Like, what do you, what do you recommend as sort of a best practice? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll point people back to the link on our resources. We actually have a lot of the stuff that's out there. We work with 30,000 locations across North America. And so we have data on what are the average gas stations spending time doing? What are the tasks? What are the daily checklists? So if they don't have any of that, come see us. We have all those resources and we'll give them away for free. Um, but I, I think the first step is uh, making sure that they have a, a system. Most people are not consistent, like you mentioned before, and they go to the dollar store or Walmart or something like that, and they're just picking up whatever cleaners that they use at home and trying to use those home kitchen cleaner and degreaser out there on the pump. And you know, these are $1,000 of equipment that they're just putting whatever on doing a lot of damage, unsafe, mixing around bleach. So there's a lot of problems with just like picking the products and program that works um, and it's designed for what your needs are. And then training is critical. Um, the employee turnover is, is high. And as we talked about before, a lot of professional cleaners, they learned how to clean from their mom and moms never taught them how to clean up the gas station. So they need to make sure that training is a part of their program and it's ongoing. It's not just a one-time thing. And then the next, we, we call it retailer leadership. That's where even if you're a single store operator, you as the leader have to set the bar on what the expectations are. Do you have a picture that shows this is what is acceptable at our store and this is what isn't acceptable? Something very clear that your employee can say, okay, I'm definitely not meeting that expectation. And, and one thing that I've seen good retailers do is they'll walk out. We do a lot of training with them. We're, we'll be at a site and we'll say, okay, everyone, put on your customer goggles. Look around here. We're at the pump. What do you see? What are you touching? What do you smell? What are you standing in? And that's 
trying to put on the customer goggles because otherwise they're kind of like a frog being slowly brought to boil because they don't see these changes happen in their site. Yeah, we, we saw the studies that show new sites after a nice remodel or a brand new site, they start to equal out to their brand standard within 250 days. So even if you spend tons of money on re-imaging, refreshing, the day-to-day operation is what is eventually kicking over and that happens within the first year. So that's training, interesting. engagement, and then lastly, we, we're big believers. I, I'm a believer in data. And so there's a lot of good data out there that they have where they can look at what's the order history, what's the mystery shop scores, what's my reviews like, and then they can triangulate to see who's not doing a good job and then fix those issues because they got to have a way of tracking their success. So first, having the products, tools, system, program. Second, training. Third, that retailer leadership of really stepping up, holding expectation, and lastly, using data to make sure that it's sticking and consistent. Yeah, and, and that's a good point about the online reviews. I, I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but um, I mean, I do a lot of work with online reputation, and I'm always amazed at how few retailers really truly monitor this information. It's they'll spend so much money on a mystery shop uh, once or twice a year, but. I can point to a store that has six months worth of negative reviews about one specific issue. Six months. I, I, I mean, I, I see this anecdotally all the time when I visit stores. It's it's kind of mind-blowing, to be honest, that people don't pay attention to this. And I, I would add, too, I, I think with online reviews, you know, you do have to keep in mind that the folks that are replying – may not have been, they haven't been trained on how to communicate the problem to you um or they're not given a f- specific format on how to com- they're just complaining so you do have to um try and put yourself in their shoes a little bit and try to get get a sense of what they're really talking about if they're not clear but it's not that hard you can figure this out it's four or five reviews on a problem you're going to know what the issue is it, it's it's just you have to take the time to pay attention to it it doesn't have to be daily but you do have to spend some time on it yeah. I think leaders need to be honest with themselves because sometimes we overlook things. Like I talked about the example before when you're doing a site visit or a pride ride or a mystery shop. And the sad thing about pride rides is pride rides are when companies are bringing out their leadership. And oftentimes there's a big emphasis before the leadership comes out to go clean and prepare your sites. Ooh. Oh, seeing the, the real world scenario and no joke. There's like retailers that they, they plan it out ahead of time and they're putting extra resources and really our boss is the customer. And they decide every day whether they're going to come to our place or go somewhere else. And so that's why I think we just need to be real about what's our environment like and then making that commitment to always keeping a certain standard. Those are the brands now, that stand out. Now, I'm a former teacher, so I can definitely tell you why that doesn't work. Um, you know, if you look at how teacher evaluations are, are not teacher evaluations, if you look at how uh, superintendent visits are conducted, um, you know, so I worked in an inner city school district. You had a drastically overpaid superintendent who had no education background and just collects a huge paycheck, gets his contract bought out after three years and sells the same program to the next district for the next three years. You know, it's pretty common thing, surprisingly. But when this person would come to any school, you would know they're coming. Whether they outright say so or not, you you know they're coming. It trickles down. So then you look at how people react. All right, well, let's clean up these walls. Let's clean up this floor. Um, all right, what are you teaching about for the next two, three weeks? I mean, there's this whole effort because everyone is so scared of losing their jobs. So they, they just make it look like this picturesque experience that is so disconnected from the day-to-day reality. And I think that's a big problem when folks from corporate come into a single store and announce that they're coming, because that is what's going to happen. Like, you, 
you need to go in and you need to actually visit as a customer and see what it's really like. But you also need to remember that you're an you're an advocate for the folks there. You're not there to, you know, point out every little mistake they're making and harass them about it. You're there to support them and help them be better. It's it's a different mindset, but um, yeah, that's my two cents on that. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the, the best tips I'll share what I've seen is. Um, imagine you're a large brand and it's hard to visit everywhere. That's why they're spending money doing mystery shops and online reviews. Oh, absolutely. But one of the best leaders that I, I, I knew was their process is they go to like the market manager or the, the level of area manager that's over 10 stores. And they would go to whatever's the furthest one away from their house and go check on the standards of that store. So find the one that's most likely to be furthest away from the manager and what's the standards of that store. And that's what you judge them by. And sometimes we judge ourselves by our best, but it's okay that we have to be able to, you know, walk by and have a list just saying, Hey, these things didn't meet standards. doesn't mean you're bad. And, you know, my employee, I love you. You're doing so many things, right. Let me tell you all about it. But these are the standards that we need to improve upon because I think that's how standards slip is they just get overlooked or they they get allowed. And uh, that's, you know, people think it's so costly and expensive. It's not. So just on a high level, cleaning up the forecourt area, it maybe takes an hour to hour and a half per week of labor. And labor is usually 80% of the cost of any cleaning is labor. And then the second part from a, a chemical cost, you're talking about, you know, maybe 50 bucks a month is what you're spending on a chemical cost to have a great experience out there, which, you know, we're, we're doing big remodels that cost a million dollars. And then now it's like, Hey, can we go spend $500 a year just to make sure we keep this and having a good experience? That's where most companies are really quick to realize there's a high ROI I'm putting emphasis on cleanliness as, as a customer experience. Yeah. Hospital sure found that out. You know, uh, I worked in a big hospital. Boy, when when we didn't do our job cleaning it, man, the patients went nuts because it smells. And um, <laughs> of course, I know uh, a C store is not a hospital, but I got to tell you, I, I, I go back to these ladies at Costco constantly cleaning those buggies. That was great optics. And I, I kept thinking, you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking, I wonder how tough would it be to, especially right now, just stick somebody out there every time someone fills up, go and spray that handle. I mean, I think customers would love it. I think they would come back. I think you would I think you would uh, really hold on to your regular customers and, and grow new business from that, you know? You're spot on, Alan. That's what we're saying. It's that, it's that be perceived, that customer perception. And... Action speaks so much louder than words. So just having the employee out there wearing a vest, greeting people, say, hey, we really appreciate your business. Let me wipe that down for you. Yeah. That's going to drive people inside the store. And it's going to change how a customer perceives you forever after that experience. And you know what? If you keep doing it when this is over, I, th- I think that would really set that hook in because I think customer expectations after this, it's going to be different. You know, I mean, when you go to a Bucky's or you go to Texas Best Smokehouse, both of those mm-hmm. places have restroom attendants who are there. I mean, you walk in, they're there, they're, they're cleaning. Someone comes out of stall, they clean that stall. And that's all the time. And I'm wondering with, with COVID-19, if, if somebody does this and sends someone out to, the, uh, to clean those pumps every time you fill up, and then you keep doing it after this, and then while they're out there, they can say, hey, can I help you with something? Can I empty your ashtrays? Can I do something else? You know, that, you know that's it's not full service, but it's extra service, you know, extra attention. I think people would love that. You know, another thing that I always, I always think back to as well, um, 
You know, I, I remember how McDonald's was when I was a little kid, and they weren't always known for having the cleanest restrooms, but then suddenly it's kind of like they did. And one of the things that was really cool, so their former CEO back in the early 2000s, he would just walk in announced to a store, go in the restroom, and he had this like uh, scorecard, you know, that's kind of like on the back of a business card. He'd score it, and then he'd give it to the store manager. But it, it, it's like... Those little things add up, and I, I would suspect that no matter how large your chain is, if you know that the CEO randomly walks into stores and looks at the restroom and is scoring them, that would always kind of be in the back of your mind just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it would for me at least. If Absolutely. I we, we call it the psychology of clean. And one of the, you know, if we've heard from retailers, one of the best ways they had to improve their overall experience for customers at the restroom was to put up a sign. And the sign said, you, the manager had to put up the sign said, if you're having a bad experience, please call this number. This is the manager on site. So talk about knowing they're going to be held responsible. And so all of a sudden, performance went way up. And then over about three months, it started dipping again. So what they did is they sent out a new um, sticker, and it was just a different color (laughs) with the same process all over again. So exact same thing, but just a new color so that someone could tell that, hey, they put the sticker up. Now, I'm actually curious for your thought on this. I'd love to see if anyone has done research into this because I the psychology of that is interesting to me because here here's how I react when I go in there. If I see that I have to call a number or even if it says press this button on the wall, um, let us know if it's dirty. I actually kind of don't do that because I feel bad. And here's why. All right. If I press the button because it's dirty. I'm assuming that whoever's working at that cash register is going to see some sort of a notification come off. They're going to see me walk out of the restroom. Now, I'm that jerk that's just in there pushing the button and telling them that they got to go clean a bathroom. It's like, I really don't want to have to be the one to tell them that. I kind of want them to just keep it clean anyway. It's true. And you're nice. You gave the example with the hand sanitizer before and where you felt bad about what it says to the uh, cashier on the other side. But if you think from the cashier's perspective, hey, this has helped me do a better job. And from the brand perspective, they want to provide a good experience. And if they want to stand behind their promise then that, you know, it's actually a good thing for them. Hey, okay, now you let me know before 10 of the people had this bad experience that I didn't know about. See, and I think that's a good example of where people need to really think about how they're communicating. Because when I see those signs, to me, that looks like something that went through multiple levels of of uh, copywriting at the corporate level. It's been signed off in the most brand safe, non-confrontational, just emotionless way. Now, if that sign instead said underneath, yeah, seriously, we're okay if you press this button or just something humorous, like, okay, I actually might press that then. Or say, you're, you know, if it says, you're not offending us if you press this. No, seriously. And I'd be like, okay, I'd press it then. But otherwise, it just feels, I don't know. I, I mean, I've, I've worked retail. I've worked in restaurants. Like, I've been on that side of it. So I guess I feel bad for those for folks. And they got to deal with me in a restroom slamming a button down because the floor is all wet or whatever. Well, going along that line, I've thought about what would it impact uh, the customer experience if we put those all the way out of the pumps? You know, because it's so far disconnected that it's not always seen. But if you say, okay, hey, you know, hit a button if the receipt paper is not working, if it's dirty, if it's bad, if the garbage needs to be taken out. There's so many customer challenges that can happen right there at the forecourt. And so I don't think a lot of retailers go out there enough. That's why the big mind shift is they think, okay, once the door opens, that's when my brand experience starts. So but that's for a good point. So many shoppers, um, it's out there. That's a good point, though, because you probably remember those fuel call systems. I think it was Inclusion Solutions put out, um, which I always really liked. That was such a cool system. But um, 
I know those did not cost that much to install. I mean, there, there's got to be a way to do that in a relatively inexpensive, uh, relatively inexpensive way to just have a button that you could press. Um, yeah, that's 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 interesting. It, it's just, yeah, I think if you're going to ask for employee feedback or, or customer feedback, they just have to make it as simple as possible. It could even be something as saying, "All right, we're going to focus on one channel for online reviews, and let's encourage people to leave reviews on there." Um, I've seen that strategy done. Uh, I think Golf Oil was actually doing that at one point, but just putting up a sign and saying, hey, we actually listened to your feedback. Please leave a comment online. We want to know how the experience was today um, and try and get a little bit more reviews than normal. Yeah, I think about going to uh, the airports, you know, every bathroom. How, how, how clean was it? Green, yellow, red. And now, see, the cool thing is our first podcast, Kent Couch, he was one of the first retailers, I think, anywhere in the United States to install that system. He was way ahead of the airports, but it makes sense in his situation because it's right outside of the restrooms in his convenience store. The problem with the airport is I don't think they're going to listen to me no matter what I press on that button. Now, I know Kent Couch is going to methodically look at that data. He is, I mean, he spends a lot of time studying that to see what his scores are, where it fell short. I guess I don't feel like the airports care. Yeah, I wouldn't feel like that either. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my problem with that. And that's where I, I think some of, these, some of these brands put these things in, and you know they don't care. But then they're wasting money putting this in. It, it's, it's like, I always look at it this way. It's like anyone can put up a billboard that says we have the cleanest restrooms. But if you're going to do that, like you better have the cleanest restrooms. Like that's so true. And I wonder in that example of is it the leader that doesn't care, or is it somewhere along their process is broken? Right? Because question. You know, sometimes I believe the leaders actually do care. I've sat in meetings, and like you said, maybe they're just disconnected from what's happening at the store, and so that's their way to try and get a everyday real time pulse of what's happening. But but I think that the real disconnect is it's got to be a whole system. You can't just try and like grab a product or solution, say, okay, I have this done. Uh, you know, I, I'm done. Check. I, I now say that we now have a whole bunch of uh, disinfectants. Our sites are going to be safe. Cause if you just ship a bunch of disinfectants to your stores, I don't think a lot of the employers are going to go out and do it. If they don't have a process in place. So we found that it's the execution that's the hardest part. And, and that's why having the right strategy is important, but really being able to execute is where companies differentiate and can deliver on a brand promise. So I'm actually curious, do you do you think if someone is going to say, we have the cleanest restrooms, we have the cleanest whatever, that they should probably try it first and prove that they can maintain it for two or three weeks before they make that claim? Because I think back to, you know, just if you look at us personally, I mean, this has been studied to death, but when people say, I'm going to write a book, or when people say, I'm going to commit to this big goal, the act of actually saying you're going to do it can end up giving you a sense of satisfaction like you've accomplished it, and then you end up not doing it. I mean, sometimes it's better just to not say anything and just do it. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, I've seen that I'm, too. I almost wonder if that plays out at the company level too. If I put up a sign that says, we have the cleanest restrooms ever, and okay, guys, hey, we're going to commit to this. Well, maybe you should try this out first and see if you actually can pull that off before you make those claims. Yeah, I think going back to that triage example of the nurses, it's yeah. every day they have to make decisions on priorities. I can't get everything done on my list. What things are always going to be done no matter what? Or how can I change my, like we're seeing people where they just designate someone. You talk about Al's example of having someone out at the pumps, just bringing an extra shift. There's a lot of people looking for work right now. Yeah. And I also think that that psychology of clean applies to the employees too. Like an employee would feel, I feel safer if I'm walking around with disinfectant, spraying things down and cleaning. You just know that every uh, other employee that's in there is saying, hey, 
in our organization, we actually take safety concerns serious. So during this time of crisis, I'd feel more comfortable being and working at a store if I saw that we were cleaning all the time. Well, you know, when I worked in a hospital, we had a department called infection control. <laughs> and uh, I was just a marketing guy, and I tried not to come into any contact with patients because uh, I wore nice suits. And I remember that we were forced to go to these infection control meetings to learn about like uh, viruses and bacteria and all this crazy stuff that I had no intention of coming in touch with. And I kind of wonder if maybe once a month something like that in a store uh, w- would help get the point across that look. You know, it, yeah, it's about being clean, but it's about being being safe from a, a bacteria and germ point. I wonder if there was something like that if you did each month because, uh, boy, I tell you what, after a while, as much as you didn't like them, those infection control meetings really did make an impact at some point. Yeah, and I would think a lot of your frontline employees, too, they're going to be they're going to notice areas where it may be falling short a little bit or where they're concerned about or maybe, hey, we're really struggling to just with time to get to this and this and that. I mean, listening to what they're experiencing is probably a good way to collect some data on what you should be doing right now. Yeah, Absolutely, because I think that will help that pencil whipping example before where they're just pencil whipping this thing as opposed to really just putting on the customer goggles. What's the experience life? Am I meeting my brand promise or not? But I think, you know, Al, you brought up that infectious disease prevention. We're finding a big interest in that right now. So really? yeah. we now launched a whole line of products to support that, whereas they used to be mingled in with other areas. And the supply chain challenges are real. So we hear from a lot of our retail partners that, hey, I, I can't get hand sanitizer. I can't get uh, disinfectant, um, you know, because a lot of us going to hospitals and people are buying it up like crazy. Yeah. So we've had to adjust our organization where just in the last, you know, three days, we've, we've worked really hard to make sure we can supply retailers throughout, you know, the U.S. with these kind of very needed right now infectious disease prevention products. So you're spot on and the, the challenge is real where even just getting supply is difficult. So we've had to really up our game and bringing in truckloads wherever we can find them of this stuff. Yeah. And that's a good question. And that's a good question as we start to wrap up though. Do you, do you, do you see shortages coming with any of this or what do you think retailers should reasonably expect here in the next, next few weeks? Yeah, well, first of all, the shortages are here. They're real. Like if you go on Amazon right now and try and buy hand sanitizer for yourself, Amazon's gone as far as not even showing the products that they used to have because everything's out of stock. So you can go look today, you go to the stores, it's just not there. And so supply is definitely a challenge. Uh, what we found is um, some people aren't taking in new customers because of it because they can barely keep up with the customers they have. So we've been very fortunate at CAF to, okay, we've got some inventory, we've been helping out our customers and we also have the training that can go with it. So now has been a time where more than ever, people are reaching out to us saying, hey, can you help? And it's been, they're, they're looking for information, but they're also looking for products too. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I was looking at actually Amazon right now and it's like any of the hand sanitizer that you can even find on there. It's uh, in stock April 5th, uh, you know, whatever. It's like always a bunch of random dates like that. Exactly. So what we've found is just keeping everything in line, working with the supply chains that we already have established with our retailers. So it's been something that we've had to pivot on quickly, but our retailers are really grateful for us for doing that because they're just not able to get supply of this stuff. And they're not prepared for how do they get their employees to go use it and have a program for infectious disease prevention at the pumps or throughout their store. So even just, we have a checklist that says, here's your hourly checklist of what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. That's been like heavily downloaded and demanded because we're just, we weren't prepared for this as an industry. Well, Mike, I, 
uh, I think we both definitely want to thank you for coming on the podcast. This is such oh, yeah. an important topic with what, with what's going on right now. And so we kind of pivot to, you know, refocusing our content uh, in light of what's happened the past few weeks. I think this was the perfect place to start. So for anyone listening to just a reminder, we're going to have links to anything that was discussed here on this on this episode's page at inconveniencepodcast.com. Definitely check out the resources CAF put out. We'll link to the recent webinars and yeah, stay safe out there. Oh, absolutely. You know, wash your hands. Definitely a good reminder to wash your hands. (laughs) Well, Mike, thanks again for joining us. Mike, thanks so much, man. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun.